This is Poured Over, a show about stories presented by the booksellers of Barnes & Noble. I'm Ewa Messer. I'm the producer and host of Poured Over. And Sheila Hetty has done a very cool thing in her new book. And you know, if you've been reading her, she changes it up a little bit book to book. And Alphabetical Diaries, I'm in love with this tiny, tiny book that is built out of your literal diaries presented in alphabetical order. And I mean, the first sentence of this book is so good. It's so good. A book about how difficult it is to change, why we don't want to, and what is going on in our brain. And I'm just wondering what year that came from, because literally, this is 10 years of your diaries. You throw it all together alphabetically, and we get a really cool book and a really, just a cool tour through your head as well. You've been living with these for 10 years. You sort of fiddled around with them on a spread. It sounds like a spreadsheet, like you went old school Excel. Mm -hmm noodled around, made a thing. But I also don't keep a diary, and I never have. So I don't really know the first thing about the mechanics beyond some people prefer, you know, their phone, some people prefer their laptop, some people prefer paper. And I'm like, I haven't got the first clue what I would put down in a diary day to day. So that's kind of where I'm coming from with all of this. But when did you decide to do this? Because I feel like you were doing it concurrently with at least pure color, if not a Another. couple of other books. Yes. Well, so I, I've i always written very intermittently in a diary. Okay. I'm not a daily journal keeper or anything like that. It's just sort of when there's a problem or something I'm trying to remember or I want to work something through, there's nobody I can talk to or there's nobody who will hear me talk about it anymore. And yeah, so I would say probably the years that I was writing the diaries, which started around 2005, I'd probably write in the diary like 40, 30 times a year, like not that often. And I wrote them on the computer because I write everything on the computer. I just, since I was 12, I've always only written on a computer. I can not read my handwriting. And so it wasn't like I had to type out my diaries into the computer. They were already there. So when I thought I want to see what these years of diaries look like in alphabetical order rather than chronological order, it was like a matter of you know, sort of putting every sentence on the on its own line in Word and then importing it all into Excel. And then there's an A to Z function, like a little button, which basically alphabetized them by first letter, second letter, third letter, fourth letter, and so on. So that was the original template. And then 14 years of editing and thinking about it and wondering, like, how do you present a book like this? Do I do 2005 in alphabetical order? And then the next chapter is 2006 and the next chapter is 2007. I mean, it ended up not being that, but I had lots of questions about it. how to present this. I'm so glad you had those questions because I really like the final format. I'm not exactly sure how you chose to edit because I thought at first it was going to be sort of straight alphabetical, right? And that's, that's definitely not, there's a story arc in each chapter. It is straight alphabetical. That, that is followed. I flew through this book and I really... I went into it with no expectations, and I'd seen the pieces you'd done in the New York Times magazine, which I don't know if those were excerpted or if this that was like a different version of what version. this is. Yeah. Okay. Version. And I'd read those, and I quite liked them, but as a whole, this book is so much fun, and it's so playful, and it's so smart, and I could not put it down. And like, I really just want to go back and reread it right now. And I want to give it to everyone I know because I haven't 
really experienced something like this structurally possibly ever and i'm kind of hard to surprise like i read a lot like i'm i'm not easily surprised and i'm smiling just thinking about alphabetical diaries again and i'm wondering if it was like that for you i mean obviously you're known for your humor and your sort of different approaches to your books but it feels really playful even though there is some, I mean, there's some stuff in here where you're like, oh, that's not playful, but the overall effect is. Yeah. I mean, it was what I would, my boyfriend called it my procrastination project. It was <laughs> like a place of play while I was writing Motherhood and Pure Color. It's much more difficult books to write, which really called on a lot of emotions. This was more a puzzle and editing and something that I could just go to whenever. You know, I, I wasn't always sure that this is going to be a book. I thought maybe it'll be an online project. Maybe I won't publish it at all. Like it wasn't always clear what the form would end up being or if it would be for other people at all. So yeah, I, I like that it was playful because it was something that I was playing with. I'm lifting a line from a New Yorker review, I th think from Pure Color, but it quoted you talking in another interview. So I know I don't know the original source of this, except that it's you, but talking about wanting to write a book like it was a Richard Serra sculpture. And I happen to be very fond of that particular form of his, where, you know, you, up at Dia Beacon, you can walk into the sculptures. And it's really kind of terrific. And I'm wondering if you feel like this is that book, if you've actually done that thing and created your Sarah sculpture with alphabetical diaries. A really nice thing to think about. Yeah, because you are kind of wandering through this structure. And it like looks different at different angles and you get kind of lost, but then there is a shape. Yeah, I really mm -hmm. like that idea. I mean, thanks. <laughs> well, you did the work. I just get to read it. I mean, I got the, I got the absolute fun bits. I was just like, okay. I mean, I wasn't walking into it completely blind. I knew sort of what the concept was. I just didn't know what to expect because I'm also not necessarily reaching for someone's diaries first. Like, I mean, plenty of writers yeah. have had posthumous diaries published and some have had them published while they're still alive. That's not the first thing I'm looking for. I mean, letters sometimes, yeah. but I don't necessarily. So I was kind of like, all right, let's see what happens here. And I do feel like having read very recently too, mother reread Motherhood and Pure Color and How Should a Person Be? I feel like you were always showing us who you were in the novels. Although, can we talk about novel for a second? Because it feels like that's a word that you don't necessarily use to describe your books. I don't know, the earlier work at least. I personally use it. Okay, I, you do. All right. I would use it to describe this book too, even okay. though obviously in ways... I mean, every sentence was written for a diary. I didn't change the sentences. I didn't right. make anything up. I didn't write any new sentences. But I wanted it to feel like you're reading a novel in the sense that there was a flow and there were characters. Yeah. There was some kind of sense of moving the reader through time, even if strangely. And, you know, that at, when you finish it, you haven't, that you've actually had an experience, like one continuous experience from beginning to end. So in that sense, I... I had novels in my head. I definitely I didn't have like writer's letters or writer's diaries. I don't find them that interesting either, but I think they're not so interesting because they're so ill-formed. Whereas this was 
formed the same way a novel would be formed. Right. Okay. So are you starting with form then? Always? For sure. In this case, okay. well, I don't know if it's form or if it's like a constraint or if it's, but I started with that idea of what if you alphabetize the sentences. And it was half a million words at first. So now it's 50,000 words. So it's a tenth of it is left, which is, which is still a lot, I think. <laughs> I'm flipping back and forth a little bit between, you know, sort of the idea of fame and chasing fame as it appears and how should a person be, right? And obviously, it's a piece of fiction, right? I'm not saying this is your personal feeling about chasing fame. But as a writer, you do give up a certain amount of yourself, just no matter what you're writing. Even when you're not naming a character Sheila, right? I mean, there are pieces of pure color that feel very much like they are taken from your life. And I think you've spoken at length about when your father died and that sort of changed the direction of the novel and whatnot. But why was it really that much of an experiment to take your diaries and put them out and give them new form? I mean, it just, I feel like I knew you kind of already, even though this is the first time we're meeting. To me, the experiment is not being known or not being known. The experiment, trying to put a book together. I mean, I don't really think about whether people know me or not. It's not really what I'm interested in, like as a question. I'm not like trying to hide, but I'm not trying to reveal either. It's just incidental that being known or not known or presumed to be known or whatever it may be. Did you learn the thing you set out to learn when you were putting this together? I mean, did you figure out if if you had changed, if if things were different? I don't think there's as, as, as much change as I would have thought. Not that I set out to learn one specific thing, obviously, but uh-huh. I think I was curious, like, how different is the self that I am today from the self I was 10 years ago? And I think the answer is not very different, but that's nice in some sense. It's kind of reassuring. There's a lot of work you would have to do if you thought that you could dramatically change yourself. Realize that you actually can't is a kind of peaceful realization to come to. It's sort of sweet to have to be yourself. I think when I was younger, I was always always like, well, how can I be anything but myself? Obviously, how should a person be is a lot about that desire to like be anybody else, Uh to be the better version of yourself or just to be another self who's actually better than you are. You know, I've been, Kate Berlant did the audiobook, and I've been like listening to the audiobook of this book mm-hmm. for driving, which is really strange to hear from the other <laughs> words. But I love her. She's such a great comic and she reads the lines so differently than I would. And the, so many of the lines in them, which a lot are from like 2005, 2006, are still sentences that I would write down today. Like it's mm-hmm. still the same problems. It's maybe different people that I'm encountering those problems with. There's definitely a cast of characters. Mm-hmm. There's definitely a set of themes that work their way through. I mean, certainly relationships and money and what is art and how do I make art and the wrestling that you do with writing. I'm still sort of sitting with this. You started with half a million words and got it down to 50,000. I'm like that. And granted, 14 years is, you know, enough time. I, I just, that's a wild amount of cutting yeah, in a way. I'm all with motherhood too. It was the same, like four thousand words cut down to like sixty. Like I always want to have a huge pile of words and then cut. So this was very good because I didn't have to come up with the words. Like the words were already there. Do you feel like it was faster to do this then? <laughs> I mean, if the words were already there. I mean, I didn't have to write it. Yeah, I mean, it was written when I started okay. editing. 
and I didn't, ha- I wasn't thinking about it as a book when I was writing the diaries. I wasn't thinking this is going to be a book right. one day, right? So it was just really an editing project. Yeah, it wasn't faster though. <laughs> I know I mentioned this to you before we started taping, but I was like, it's not really that there are spoilers in alphabetical diaries, but at the same time, this book is just such a joy to read. And it was so surprising and so kind of fun and witty and a little weird, but also very earnest and kind of open. And you could read it straight through without a doubt. And, but part of me also thinks you can sort of pick it up wherever you feel like mm-hmm. and just grab a sentence. And I loved the way you were sort of choosing the length of this. Now that I know how much cutting happened, it's like, oh, wait. So we've got some runs where the sentences are really long and we've got some runs where the sentences are like three words. Mm-hmm. And the cadence feels like it really matters. And I'm wondering sort of how much of this came out of you not just the editing piece, like I'm clear on the, on the cutting and all of that, but were you reading out loud to yourself or were you just sort of engaging with what was in front of you on the page and making decisions solely there? Because there, there's a clear cadence in each of these chapters. Yeah, I mean, I was reading out loud in my head. I can hear it without saying it out loud. But yeah, I mean, I was really, I was thinking about it like that. Like, what is the rhythm? Because there's very little that you have to well there's only if you can't work with with plot then mm-hmm. what's left and like rhythm is one of the things because i also you know you mentioned talking about making sure that you felt the change in time the passage of time and whatnot and that was also really clear for yeah. me as well like i again i don't know exactly when these sentences were written <laughs> yeah. like you've given me the window 2005 2006 beyond that sort of 10 years whatever but yeah. The idea that it all comes together as a really clear narrative when you kind of started a little bit with pickup sticks in a way, right? Like, it is kind of like playing a game where you're just like, all right. Yeah, truly. I mean, a lot of it was deciding who the characters were going to be, what letter a character's name should start with, because obviously, like, the character's you know, Lars, like all his sentences are in the L chapter, like Havel, all the sentences are in the P chapter. So like, what name do you want to give this character? It's just a different way of thinking about narrative. Like, which which boyfriend do you want to come at the end of the book? Which boyfriend do you want to come at the beginning of the book? Well, the way to do that is to decide what name to give them. I just had to think about it in a completely new way, how to write this book or edit it or whatever. How much of that, though, is just deciding who doesn't make the cut? I mean, don't you have a sort of idea of no? Because none high- of them are real people, like yeah, okay. So what I did was I I at one point made all the male characters he and all the yeah. female characters she, and then I built up characters from whatever sentences I wanted, so that like like the Pavel character is sort of like four boyfriends in my head, you know, or whatever. Like they're all kind of composites. Because I didn't want to be writing, I didn't want to be putting anybody into the world in that way. I was, then that was one of the other problems. Like, how do you publish your diary without telling other people about these people who have been in your life, which I didn't want to do. I didn't want to tell them what I thought of them. I didn't want to tell other people anything about anybody. Can we go back to how should a person be for a second? Because you had active participation from your friends who sort of pop up, right? Like the way the emails worked 
in how should a person be and that sort of flipping back and forth, back and forth. It made me think of Beckett. There's a little bit of this feel of waiting for Godot, right? This playfulness that pops in those email exchanges, even when they get a little surreal. But I do feel like your humor anchors me to the work that you're doing, right? Like even in motherhood, there are a couple of moments where I'm going, okay, okay, I see where you're going. And pure color, you're balancing humor and grief kind of thing. But alphabetical diaries is like laugh out loud. There pretty much is a laugh on every single page. And when you were saying, you know, you're figuring out who the people are going to be and how I'm going to structure this and everything else, I don't know, was the humor deliberate or did it just come out through the whole process of creating the book? Like, did you walk into this saying, I need to be funny in this book. I want this to be the laugh out loud funny one. Or was it just, here's the story? No, I didn't go into it saying that. But then you realize when you're editing, oh, this is a place for humor. This is a place where this could be funny. I mean, I... I'm happy that the book is funny, but I think that that's, that's just one of the things I, I thought would be nice to come across, you know, like it wasn't the only thing that I was thinking about, but I don't, but I think it was intentional also, but I always want there to be humor because that's just such a good part of life. And it's a funny idea. Like just the whole idea is kind of weird and funny. And um, so it would be weird to make this a completely grave sort of result, you know? But the tension, right, between what's funny and what's maybe a little more serious, I do think that tension is part of what I get from reading, regardless of what you're writing about. Mm -hmm. I just, I feel like that narrative tension is something that I associate pretty strongly with you. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, I mean, I think the best humor is in the places that it's not supposed to be, probably. Like, if you're expecting a laugh, you're probably not going to laugh. What are you hoping readers discover in alphabetical diaries? Or you just want to hand them the book and be like, I did my thing? I think it's an interesting way of thinking about time. And it's like an interesting portrait of the mind. And it's there's lots of things that I hope people see in it. But there's not like one specific thing. Is it possible to surprise yourself, though, when you're working in material that you'd already written? Yeah, it was very, there's a lot of surprise to me because it's not like I had my diaries memorized either. Like I was surprised upon sentences that I even, I don't even know why that sentence is there or where it came from or why I wrote it. But it works here. Yeah, it's funny out of context or it's strange or interesting. I mean, for me, alphabetical diaries just read in a way where it was like, it was really kind of liberating because as much as you're talking about form, right, you clearly have an idea as you're sort of chipping away, right, mm-hmm. and making this thing. And the form is so clear that it's actually, it feels like there is no form in a way, right? Like, I, I, that sounds like a Zen Cohen accidentally, but, you know, the <laughs> idea that is it is it the cup or is it the emptiness in the cup that makes the cup? And it feels... To me, like, yeah, you could easily call this a novel. But can we talk about how we define novels for a second? Because obviously there are pieces of it that are, like, purely structural, and we're talking about time and interiority and 
I feel like I've seen you talk about your work in lots of different ways, but like sometimes you're just like, no. And I, and I know you mentioned this at the top of the show that you're just like, no, no, I use the word novel to describe my books, but I feel like there have been a couple of interviews recently where you were like, no, no, I just want to talk about books. Like, and you say it actually in this book, you're like, well, I prefer books to novels. And I kind of just want to poke at that idea with you for a second, because I know there are people who do use the words interchangeably and that's fine. And however you need to describe, you know, this thing on paper with pages and what are, or some people prefer audiobooks and whatnot. But I just want to play with that idea with you for a second. Like what's the difference beyond the technical mechanical pieces? Do you know what I mean? I mean, a book, all books are books, I guess. Yeah. Um, a novel. And I like the word novel because it is, it, it doesn't leave anything out. Any book could be, called a novel any book that I mean you can call it a nonfiction book a novel you can't call a novel a, a nonfiction work but you could I don't know I just think it's like the broadest genre but yeah I think book is an even better and more broad category I don't know I I don't find that I you know when I'm writing I'm not really thinking about like what's the category of this book I'm just yeah. thinking how to make it how to make the ideas how to but Am I right in remembering that you sort of approach each book not as a problem to be solved, but it's more like, well, what did I learn the last time and how do I strip it down to the studs and how do I relearn or or make this different? Like, it feels like you approach every project differently, that there isn't just a pattern of, hey, I have an idea, I'm going to run with this, right? Yeah, I mean, every book is about something different and... I'm in a different stage in my life and I have different formal curiosities and, but I don't think that I start out saying, well, how am I going to make a different book this time? It's more, mm-hmm. what am I interested in now? And then the form, find, like, then I s- slowly find the form for that idea. So that's how we get the coin tosses in motherhood. Well, the coin tosses, I did all that coin stuff before I knew that I was writing a book called motherhood. So that was just okay. a way of, writing, talking to these coins, like asking a question, throwing the coins, getting an answer, asking another question. Mm-hmm. That was, I probably wrote like that for a year without, again, without thinking it was going to be part of a book. It was just fun and, and right. was helping me continue to like write in dialogue while being alone. Because I had just finished How Should a Person Be, which was years of talking to friends and then I didn't want to still be talking to friends, but I still had this dialogue impulse. So it was a way of having dialogue without anybody else in the room. It reads like an exchange. And and actually, you had a story recently in The New Yorker where it was partially written with an AI bot named Alice. Yeah, completely written with the bot. Yeah. And it, But it feels like, okay, but it feels like Alice could slide into motherhood as well like that exchange could be part of motherhood it could be part of how should a person be like there's certain things like now i'm looking at how you use dialogue differently seeing this threat because also pure color i think i guess the dialogue between mira and her dad more than anything Yeah. yeah and then sort of the way dialogue pops here in alphabetical diaries that and the the dialogue and the humor are kind of like the two things 
that I think if I were reading something blind and someone asked me to guess if it was you, I would be like, oh, those would be the markers I could use right. <laughs> to figure out that it was, you know, because you have a very distinct voice, which I really appreciate. I mean, these four books are sort of the books, well, the last three, you know, Pure Color, How Should a Person Be a Motherhood, are sort of the books that people really know you for. I remember Tickner. I read your short story collection ages ago. There's some books I'm, I'm missing, but those were the two. I was like, oh, right, Tickner. That book. <laughs> it's been a minute. That was 2005. But I feel like people really know you now for this sort of body of work, right? These particular books. And Alphabetical Diaries fits perfectly in with the voice of these other novels, even though they are kind of... I mean, didn't you talk about How Should a Person Be as like an, sort of an experiment to see if you could write a novel with more than one author? I don't know. I mean, there's that I was playing around with there, but I want to say, because you read Tickner, which is not as common. When I was working on Alphabetical Diaries, I was thinking of Tickner. Like, oh, okay. Of like, you're inside somebody's head in a really particular kind of neurotic, repetitive, obsessive way for a, throughout the whole book. So I kind of see this as like closer to Tickner than okay. books for those reasons. This circling. Like at one point, this Alphabetical Diaries was called Canals. Because I had this idea of like, okay, your brain just goes down certain paths and it like is always going down those same paths. Like it's or like ruts, you know, like or groove of a record. Like I was thinking about that's what this book was about for me for a long time, which is what Tickner is about as well. So I'm interested in the like the limitations of the mind, like that your brain really does only go down so many paths. And then there's a million paths that for some reason it never goes down. Like and that's why I like playing with the coins because, you know, you ask it a question and it says no. And then you ask another question and says no. And you have your brain is forced to go down new paths. There's always this like frustration of like, why does my brain only think about things in one way? But then in terms of like representing it, like in a book like this, mm -hmm. one wayness of it, like, is kind of interesting. Like it's something about us that it's like, why do I always go to the same restaurant and order the same thing? Like there's a million restaurants in my city and in any restaurant, there's a million other items, but there's this like, like desire to repeat in us. Even with my dog, I'm just looking at my dog right now and we take a walk, like he wants to walk the same path, right? you know? And I think that this book is like a lot about that. Like, why am I walking this path over and over again, over 10 years, over this and still today? I mean, it feels to me having read alphabetical diaries that you're everything feeds back into your art right like yeah you're walking these same paths over and over again but no matter what we always come back to the work and I think the way you interrogate yourself and I don't mean interrogate in like an aggressive weird way or anything like that but just in the sense of what you just described right and walking around the same path and the same path and the same path I'm like yeah, but it seems to me that you're asking these questions and doing these things in service of creating art. I didn't feel like Alphabetical Diaries was neurotic. I felt like you were working through yeah, it's a less problem, different. right? Because <laughs> I am a bit older, so I, I think it is a little less. And, you know, the character isn't, an, it isn't as neurotic, but... Mm. But I just mean more like you get fixated on things and you hold on to um, problems and you return to the same problems over and over again and maybe in slightly new ways, but like variations on a on a problem rather than, well, here's this completely new problem. 
but you know, I, I mean, yeah, I think with all the books, there's this question of like the art and how do you make a book and how do you write a book? And part of the book is always about writing the book and same with this one, obviously. So yeah, there is, there is a way in which there's this like, like pull the center there. There's like a gravitational force. Like if I didn't have these books to write, yeah. What would I be thinking about? Would I be thinking about completely different things? Would I be living in a completely different way? I mean, I don't, yeah, probably. I think you obviously found your form, but I sort of feel like you're one of those people who would have found a way to make the thing because it's just, it's in your, it's just part of who you are. I don't know. Am I wrong about that? I mean, I had trouble with plays. I think I'm, I'm glad that I switched over to books because I think, I think it'd be easy to get discouraged doing theater in a way that um, I've never felt with books. I think most writers figure out what their form is. I tried to write a movie at one point and it was a complete disaster. Like that's really not my form. Like, can we talk about literary influences for a second? Mm -hmm. I mean, you've talked about Henry Miller, which mm -hmm. I can totally see, but then you're also sort of wrestling with the modernists a little bit. You're just like, well, do I have to be in conversation with, and by the modernists, obviously I'm talking James Joyce, you know, Virginia Woolf, sort of who we think of modern canon mm -hmm. in a way. And yet there is a little bit, of their, I mean, I sort of feel like there's a little bit of wolf sort of floating around in the background mm -hmm. of what you do. Yeah, um, and it was huge for me, especially. I think I read her much earlier than Virginia Woolf and just was like, oh, you can do, you can play with language in this way or, you know, you can make sense and not make sense and it can just be about the music of the sentences and I think she's really important. And some of the more experimental contemporary writers too, like Kenneth Goldsmith wrote a book called Soliloquy. Like he recorded himself for a full week, everything he said. It was like in the 90s. So he wore this like head, these headphones around his neck and every, and then he transcribed everything he said in that whole week. And it was seven chapters. Every chapter was a day. And there's no stage directions. There's no other people's speech. No one knew that he was recording. And the book is, you know, this thick, it's unreadable, but, and really banal and really gossipy and funny. And I think that book, more than any other book, was like an inspiration for this one. Okay. That's not at all what I expected, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> now, I just, I love the idea that we can pull from different places and different moments. And, you know, you're just going to find the inspiration kind of where you need it. Mm hmm mm hmm and now I really want to read that. And I'm just like, okay, do I have time to add? <laughs> you can't really read it, you know, because okay. you, that's a book you have to dip in and out of. And it's okay. out of print, but now the PDF is online, which is great because it wasn't for many years. But it's it's not really even in a, a book. It's more just like proof that we speak. You know, it's like a, it's a conceptual art. It's not really a novel in it. Or if it is, it's one of the most unreadable ones. I mean, I should actually read it probably beginning to end. That would be interesting. Maybe that'll be my reward for being done this book. Well, I assume you're working on a new thing though. I mean, it seems to me that you always kind of have multiple projects going or. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm working on uh, this sort of this AI ish book that the, the New Yorker story is kind of part of. The way you sort of mix philosophy and fiction and story and narrative together. 
I'm quoting you for a second from a different interview. I believe there's a platonic ideal for every book that's written, that there's a perfect version of the book somewhere in the ether, and my job is to find that book through my editing. And you have sort of hit on this a little bit. You genuinely create the thing through the edit? Is that really what you've been saying? Yeah. And not just, I mean, not just this book. I mean, going back to Tickner, going back to the short stories, going yeah. back to... Yeah, that's the only way I know how to do it. I mean, there has to be like 10 times more written that is okay. published because, yeah, because I don't really know what the book is until I start looking at all the material that I've collected and then I can start seeing, well, what am I actually interested in? Like, what have I been been writing about? What do all these pieces have to do with each other? And the book goes through so many versions and parts fall away, but then parts come back again. And it's like, if you make like hundred versions of a book, there'll be certain passages that appear in every version of that book. And those are the essential passages because it can apply to any framing that that book takes. So that's sort of how I organically over time find what are the important parts to keep in the final book. And then it's sort of a matter of, yeah, well, how do you draw a reader through the experience? What should you start with? What should you end with? Yeah. And what goes up against each other nicely, like in an interesting way, like that creates this kind of friction, uh, interesting friction. Can we go back to pure color for a second then? Because one of the things I love about that book is you might get a chapter that's sort of, you know, six pages, you might get a chapter that's a paragraph. And so when you're creating something like pure color, right, and, you know, we're bouncing between what might be considered familiar territory and then we get a little more sort of into a slightly wilder experience, right? So you've got the, the original material. How many words do you think you had when you first sat down with Pure Color before you really started to edit it down? Pure Color was actually kind of different. That was the okay. one book that wasn't quite written like that. Okay. Like I had a whole draft that I threw out, but it wasn't compiling tons of material and then cutting it in the same way. It was actually really hard to get anything written for that book. It was sort of the opposite. It was like, how am I going to write anything? <laughs> like, how am I going to write one paragraph? Yeah, it was actually the only book that had the completely opposite sort of process. Oh, wow. Okay. Because it really, it feels very, very different. Yeah, yeah. It from was any of the other books. And partially that is structure. I mean, <laughs> it was, I was very pleasantly surprised because I do... As a reader, I like to have a rhythm in the chat. Like I, I appreciate it when chapters can be a little shorter or at least varied in length. It just it keeps me thinking about the material in a different way. Whereas you know sometimes you get a book and the chapters are drawn out, <laughs> drawn out, and then you're sort of like, well, can I? Mm. And I just I I do appreciate chapter breaks that are done in a way that I'm not left to assume anything simply because I'm at a break. Mm -hmm. And given the different storylines that you're pulling through, and I'm dancing a little bit around pure color because I think there's a lot of very fun exploration that happens. I think there's a lot of opportunity for surprise and engaging with a story in a way that some folks might not have read a review of and I don't want to spoil it for them. I Fair do enough. think. Yeah. I do think that you should meet Mira and hang out with her and go from there. That's what I think. Um and the package is gorgeous. 
Yeah. Inspired by an Alex Katz painting, right? No, it it actually is an Ellsworth Kelly painting. Oh, it is. Okay. Yeah. But not That's Kim right. did the cover and she did the cover of the alphabetical diary of all the Oh yeah, she's right. Alphabetical diaries as well. And she's the she's the best. I mean, I think she made them kind of companions of each other conceptually. Like they both have this sort of same background. Yeah, and, it works. Yeah. It, it really works. And I do, I think they're in conversation the way sort of how should a person be in motherhood or in conversation in a way, it's certainly pure color and alphabetical diaries feel like they're in conversation. How so? So for me, partially motherhood and how should a person be feel very much like coming of age stories. I think we need to stop limiting coming of age stories to, you know, a teenager or 20 something like Always coming, of age. coming of age moment when you're 60, right? Yeah, all right. Just stylistically, too, like the coin flip piece and like the email. There's there's some stylistic choices that flow through both books that make me feel like I'm in a particular orbit, right? Yeah. Like I'm in a world and that I know who these people are and these people would know each other in a way. Right. For Pure Color and Alphabetical Diaries, I feel like it's a little more idea-driven and the character, not that the characters are an afterthought, please don't, I, I don't mean that at all, because the characters are clear in both books, but it is more about the sentences, I think, in both Pure Color and Alphabetical Diaries than it is necessarily about the characters. But the way you structure both books, you keep us moving forward, or at least you kept me moving forward through both. And it was partially the way the chapters are designed. It was partially where you'd hit a crescendo. Yeah. in a longer chapter and I'd be like, Oh, right. Okay. And it just, the ground never was quite level in either pure color or alphabetical diaries, which I really like. I just wanted to be in the books and I wanted to be following the story wherever it took me. And as we both know, there's some stuff that happens in pure color where I'm like, Oh, hi. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Here we are. And there were also recognizably some trademarks, like the dialogue again and the, and the humor and whatnot. But you do some stuff in both of these books that I wouldn't have necessarily expected after reading the earlier ones. And, and Tickner, I do see the direct line between Tickner and, and Alphabetical Diaries, but it has really been a minute yeah. since I've read Tickner. How much of your own work, though, informs... You were interviews editor at The Believer for a really long time, and you did some great work there. But how much of sort of knowing your own theories and feelings about the creation of art drove those interviews? Like, how much do you ever separate yourself from the work? Yeah, I mean, you, you can't make it otherwise, I don't think. But I think, like, when I was doing those interviews, I was much younger, and I really was, like, trying to ask every artist I was interested in, like, how do you make work? And trying to learn from everybody that I was interviewing. Like, I had such a need to talk to these people. But then in the editing, I always thought of it as like a little play. Like, I was always trying to make it. I did so much, again, rearranging and cutting and structuring and forming. Like, it was never, I think a lot of times when you see a Q&A online now, it's just as it was spoken, as it was conducted. And this has so much I was always interested in making like an arc and making yeah. where do you want to start? Where do you want to end? And with the believer, there was always like 
sections. So each little section would have its own arc and its own special end. And yeah, it was really fun to do. I loved reading those interviews because again, they were always a little surprising, a little different. They were just fun. And again, more an experience, right? Like this is something you were talking about early in, in this episode is like making an experience. And I think that's really important. There are the books that you read and then there are the books that you experience, right? And that's different for everyone. But I love the idea. And I know that when I feel like I'm deep in a book, right? And the other thing is too, alphabetical diaries is so little. It's, it's not what, that it's, little. It's 213 it's, pages, but it's... I, I think that's a very good length. <laughs> it's a very good... No, no, no. I'm right there with you. It's a great length. But it is also like, there's a lot here. Right. There's a lot. And, yeah. and there's also some weight space. And it's, but for me, I was so deep in the experience and a little, I don't know, gleeful. I, I just, I was giddy as I was reading it. And um, just because I was like, where are we going next? What is happening here? I will clearly follow you anywhere. And then occasionally, yeah, you'd pop up with something and I'm like, oh, she's working something out here. I hope it worked out. I hope whatever, I hope you saw whatever you wanted to see on the other side of this, but just. The way you put this book together is just wild to me. It is so much fun. It's so much fun. And I don't think I've really ever experienced something quite like this. You know, the one thing I'm hoping people really understand about this, about Alphabetical Diaries, it's really accessible. It's really fun. It's really bouncy. It's really, it's exactly the kind of thing you want to sort of keep in your bag. And you can just pop it open whenever. I know that feels right to you, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, I like a book that you can open anytime at any page. I mean, I meant it to be read beginning to end, and like you said earlier, also jump around and because you can. I wanted the book to be a pleasure. It definitely is. It really, really is. <laughs> Sheila Hetty, thank you so much for joining us on Poured Over. Alphabetical Diaries is out now. If you haven't read Motherhood, if you haven't read Pure Color, if you haven't read How Should a Person Be, please go back and find those two. Tickner too. Techner, there's also the story collection. There's so much great, great stuff. Great fun stuff, but start with Alphabetical Diaries. Sheila, thank you so much again. Appreciate it. Thank you for listening. Poured Over is a Barnes & Noble production. To help other readers find us, please rate and review the show wherever you listen to podcasts.